released on Sunday, March 16, 2014, in St. Louis, Missouri. This Agile Life, Episode 40, Tice is the Reason I Drink. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Joining me today are my co-hosts on Twitter, Adcron, Amos King. Hey, good evening, John. How's it going, Amos? Great. I'm uh, really happy to be here. It was good to see you the other night at Ruby STL meetup. That was fun. Talked a little bit about Crystal with our friend Craig Buchek. Also on Twitter, the Agile Factor, Jason Tice. Good evening, John. What are you ready to improve today? (laughs) Wouldn't you like to know? I think the world would. Also on Twitter, the Agile, athe- the Agile Atheist, Lee McCauley. Hey, John. How's it going? That's a real tongue twister, Lee. Sorry. Agile Atheist. Agile I didn't, atheist. I didn't expect anybody to actually have to say it at any point. Typing it is a little easier. That's right. Also joining us tonight, guys, we have a very special guest on Twitter, at Angela Harms. Angela Harms is a developer, coach, facilitator, and my personal favorite, Instigator, currently working as a technical coach in Detroit. And in 2013, Angela spoke at Agile Indy, Agile and Beyond, Moby Dev Day, Agile 2013, Steel City Ruby, and Oradev. Geez, I got tired just saying that. Yeah, I'm tired too. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Angela. Thank you. Good to be here. So we gave our listening audience a little background on you, is there anything else you'd like to add to that list? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, that sounds like me. I also uh, have a bunch of kids who are unschoolers. And let's see what else. How Probably many is a bunch? You would want to list a meditator if you're going to describe me. Oh, that Jason's a big yoga meditator guy, too. Yeah, actually, um, we're we're missing yoga class tonight. I have a, I have a, <laughs> one of my co instructors is covering for me, so we can have this fun podcast this evening. So, I think it runs in the Agile family, right? Uh, well, for for those that have never done yoga, and it's funny you mentioned the Alliance Conference. I have long said, you know, we always get up and we do lean coffee. Uh, you know, yoga is an iterative practice, all about no no pun intended. It's about improvement and about a journey where effectively you're never done because there's always a step going forward. If you apply that same mindset to a team, that really allows the team to improve. And uh, I've learned that, I guess, through physical practice and yoga, but I I work with teams and I challenge them to say, you know, you're really never good enough. And the the team can be motivated by saying, let's try to come to consensus about something that we can improve. Doesn't the word yoga mean practice? It does. It does. So, um, and that's where uh, we did an episode a while back that I, I think I remember I came directly from the yoga studio. And we we agreed after st- after I stood on my head for ten minutes that we would never do a podcast again after yoga because I was in a different state of mind. But but nonetheless, <laughs> um, something that I challenge agile practitioners, um, be it if you're a coach or if you're a developer, is you've never tried a yoga class, go try one because it is it is a practice, it is iterative, 
and it really is self-paced. So you come to practice, and, and ideally that practice should allow you to move forward, um, almost just as if, if you're on a team, a team should move forward. And even as an individual member of an Agile team, you should really be working to improve yourself. And yoga is a great discipline that really helps you do that within a physical practice. That exact same parallel is 100% applicable for what you do as a member of an Agile team. I think we need to create a, uh, a new method called the, uh, the Agile Lean Yoga Kata. <laughs> really? Well, Andor, for Andor um, as I was telling Angela, like Lee and I work together for a company in St. Louis, and uh, the, they're after me to do like lunchtime yoga, and, uh, and they want me to come in and do the whole, you know, I'll share, because when I do yoga, you know, I wear capri pants, I do stuff, because they're comfortable, and uh, <laughs> I, can I can only imagine how some of that's going to go over in a tech company, if you're going to make whatever, <laughs> but at the same time, I, I respect it, and actually, the yoga I practice is called Ashtanga. And it's, it's, a northern, it's a yoga form from really northern India, and it, it's a strength-based yoga class. So when I teach at the yoga center, I actually have the majority of the people in my yoga class are men because we, we stand on our heads. We do all kinds of strength-based things. So it's, uh, it's great. But this is not a yoga podcast. This is an Agile podcast. So we, we should not <laughs> I know, turn this. I, I think I'm going to drive to St. Louis to see you in Capri Pants. That's I'm sure when this goes down, and I'll share it's on my to-do list. Um, it it uh it, and you know, there are people from the company Lee and I work for that that do listen to this Agile Life. Um, so this is on the to-do list. It needs to get done, and we're just going to figure out where it can go on the crazy schedule. But it'll be fun. Okay, but I have one question about yoga. You said you can't do a post-yoga podcast. Is that because you don't care anymore? You're all like, it's all good, man. Uh, I think that what what episode was that? I think. I mean, it, it it has yoga in the title. It was like super, it was 28, I think. I mean, go back and listen and judge for yourself. Um, we were in a weird mood that night is all I can say. It was called Overloading Yoga Positions. Yes. I don't even remember it. It was, oh, it was the roll overloading episode. That's right. Oh, yes. Tice is, <laughs> Tice is in halasana position right now. You just can't tell. No, no, but oh, oh, that's okay. Awesome. All right, enough with the yoga. We're completely off track. We shouldn't have opened up the yoga can of worms putting can closing can putting can away okay guys tonight we're going to talk about a few things we're going to talk a little bit about some test driven development some pairing to go along with that and maybe if we have time i'll recount to you the experience i had today with a mob programming experiment that i'm doing at work but let's not wait to hear all right and he's doing it for a whole week so he's got to stick it out yes and you'll, I'll tell you more, but there's more to the story. So let's go ahead and get started with some stuff about test-driven development. We've talked in, in the past, in very early episodes, I think, about test-driven development because we all, I think, on this podcast anyway, use it as kind of one of our core development practices. And since it was near and dear to our hearts, it was just something that we were ready to spew forth some comments about and some commentary and uh, it's probably time to, to talk about it a little bit again, see if anybody's thoughts or opinions have changed on the subject at this point. Actually, I have a sp specific question for Angela that relates to TDD. <clears throat> so there was one of your uh, blog posts, I forget which one, I apologize, um, where you were recounting a uh, either an email conversation or a lunch you had or something with a with a friend, and they were recounting how they, uh, uh, this was some company that did um, library software or something like that, and that uh, 
they were having trouble with their software always breaking. And so one of the replies you gave was about TDD. And that, that blog post, what, I, I wanted more about that. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on that story, if you can remember which one. I don't know remember, remember when this was. Um, oh, wow. I have no idea. Um, let me see if I can find it. <laughs> was it My Agile Education? Yes. An yes. old blog. Is that an old blog? Uh, it's pretty old. <laughs> um, but so what was... So the, the story was, was basically that this um, there's, was a sales manager, and uh, I've I found it now. So there's a sales manager, and, tell, and he told you that uh, uh, when they were making a change to the software, other things break, and that the programmers always document their changes in the code, but then uh, they can't prevent weird things from happening and breaking each time. And they, the programmers will say, okay, we fixed it. And then they deploy only to find that something else got fixed. And you suggested test-driven development as a, as a way to, to fix that, along with other things about Agile. Um, the title of it was, uh, what's the first thing you tell someone about Agile? And that was one of the things, and talking about unit tests and stuff like that. <laughs> and I was kind of wondering. I remember how, this conversation, yeah. So how did that turn out? Do you remember? We haven't actually talked about it again. I remember how it turned out at the time. It was like uh, it, she didn't really hear me, and um, and that's what I think that's what prompted the post. It's like how how do you say you know? There's a really obvious answer to your problem. <laughs> uh, wow, is, is that this kind of in the beginning of my agile uh, obsession? I think. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring it, take you back that, that many years. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, it, this looks like it was from 2010. Sorry. Nah, that's um, okay. I really liked it. So, anyway. <laughs> that was the, a uh, very dear friend that I, that I was talking to. Yeah. So, is this one of those issues where, um, for people, when you're talking to them about Agile, then they, this is the old idea of you can only teach people things that are on the fringe of their knowledge. And so... The, the number of things that you have to change about the old classic ways of doing software development um, are there's so many things that they just can't handle it all at one time. You have to give them little bits and pieces. Do you find that? Absolutely. That, that is so true. And, uh, and, and I also, okay, so this reminds me of the, the Shuhari idea that people bring up, um, you know, that there are different levels of knowledge and you present different things depending on when someone's a beginner or more advanced. Are you guys familiar with Shuhari? Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I thought so, but I was seeing some puzzled looks. Uh, so the idea that someone who's just learning should keep their mouth shut and just listen, I've, I've sort of discovered that th that's completely invalid because if you're going to teach somebody, you have to find out where they're at, right? To your point about um, being on the fringes of their knowledge. So I, I, I find that it's really important to listen to their theories when they're a beginner and then to come back at, uh, from an angle that they can understand. You know what I mean? Hey, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, th I think that, that that's great. But another thing that I notice is that there's a lot of senior people who are teaching that 
whenever someone, whenever a beginner has those things, those conversations, they, you know, they ignored it and let it go. But there's a lot of things you can learn from a beginner too, because they're seeing the world in a different light than you. That is so true. Yeah. Well, and really from, from, from educational science, I mean, it's, it's been demonstrated time and time again, that number one, learning is an experiential activity. And number two, that learning is actually the, 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 the impacts of learning are amplified through allowing people to get feedback on their own. So a lot of times, especially if you're, if you're in a coaching environment, you, you have people on a team, they, they see a pair going down a, maybe they're doing the wrong thing on a story. And a lot of times the coach or the, the lead of the team wants to intervene and say, stop, don't do that. Problem is if you do that and you do that all the time, you preclude the learning and development of those other people. So this is why I push for one hour pair switching. Yeah, actually, you know, I got a coaching tip. I got a, I got a coach tip I've been sharing with a few teams, um, which I got from a few colleagues. Um, actually, I'm bad. I can't remember who it was now. Was it, it was actually a lean coffee event at a conference, so I cannot remember who threw it out there. But it's been proven to be invaluable, and they called it, they called it a checkup. So especially for a large team where, you know, you, you, have, you have a pair, they pull a story, they start working on it. Literally start a clock, Amos, and this is for the teams that don't want to do the one-hour pair switch that you like. But after an hour or so, have them do a checkup with someone else on the team. Um, a really cool variation on this is to have a different person on the team kind of each week they play the role of the technical consultant, and they're the person that goes around and facilitates these checkups whenever the clock goes off with a new pair. And then at that point, you can actually promote awareness, promote some leadership, and, some, and, and uh, allow different people to experience what it's like to kind of have, you know, provide that guidance, which can help them grow into being coaches or other mentors and, you know, and, and coaches and mentors and all kinds of other fun you know roles that they might want to consider in their career this this kind of harkens back to a conversation we had a few shows ago about the 10 commandments of egoless programming and especially when you're talking about learning and learning from others and at what stage in your career are you capable of teaching at what point in your career are you capable of learning hopefully your entire career, you're capable of both things. Yeah, I, I actually I agree with that, John. Because I, and actually, I'm working with mentoring some newer instructors right now, and you know, there's this whole there's this whole mindset. They're like, you know, what's the secret sauce, Jason? And I'm like, there isn't. Just go do it. And if anything, you 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 learn from experience. And the best instructors out there are the people that allow themselves to emerge and develop their own presentation and instruction style that allows them to be effective. And the key thing to do it to develop that style is to really ask the students or the team for feedback because that's how you can assess if you're being effective. Jason, tell us more about the, the checkup concept. So checkup, okay, so this is, ah, uh, you, you guys can rail on me now. Jason, where is the blog post that describes the checkup? And I was like, no, it's on the idea for blog post list that never gets done. I have a problem with that. You just well, got a plan for three months, right, Tice? Yeah, I'm too busy. See, Amos, that's it. I'm too busy populating my backlog of blog posts before I should be writing them. <laughs> so, so, for those of you... To the Bob Martin Foreman post. Uh, pardon me? How close is it to the Bob Martin Foreman post? Have you guys uh, read the Bob Martin Foreman no. <gasps> I'm writing no. it down, though. Is that going to be your pick now? Uh, <laughs> no. You know... <laughs> He wrote a post about TDD that made me so happy and it was beautiful, and then he wrote this, and it's just the most horrifying thing. Uh, Plus Gips his the heart, the most horrifying thing uh, to me. Oh, wait, I pasted it in the wrong place. 
So this is a post where Bob Martin says that uh, coaches should be the equivalent of foremen um, and should uh, monitor the code and refuse to let people commit things that the coach doesn't approve of. Ah, Ouch. Horrible. Oh. Horrible. <laughs> and it caused a huge <laughs> brouhaha. You guys Wait, missed so this entire like, explosion on the internet for this. So how does, how does that encourage teamwork and like a team growing together? That's... Ah. You know? I fight this. This is well, what I fight all the time. Well, okay, but let, let's let's explore this because technically, what is that going to do? Oh, the architect wants to explore. Well, the, the, <laughs> so the architect does want to explore because so okay, so Amos, what's that going to do? I think you've been on a few teams like that. It's going to create conflict. Oh. Conflict is not always bad if it just it's kept in check. Well, okay, but let's take this back to part of the element since we're kind of doing a mashup here of the check-in technique with this blog post. Uh, this idea of what if that person who does that, who has that foreman role, that call it that technical mentor, what if that is a role that goes around the team? So one week Angela has that 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 responsibility. The next week John has that responsibility. The next week Lee has that responsibility. And in that way, you know, there's someone kind of looking looking out for the overall technical direction of the code base. But it doesn't become a single per a single person that becomes a single point of failure, silo of excellence, or whatever you want to call it. I'm kind of okay with it since you didn't say that the architect Heist got that role for a week. No, I would say that's not the architect. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm all, I'm all trust me. I'm I mean, my architecture background's more big EA. You know, let's talk about systems and portfolio management, and and knowing that for for reasons that I to this day do not understand, uh, the idea of how you manage an IT portfolio of systems on a balance sheet. That's a big problem, and that, that that's a different discipline. And I don't I don't understand why a lot of the architects of the world don't focus on that more and say that really let the software craftsman focus on writing clean code with the technical practices that are current and relevant at this time. And and if you're not focusing on development right now, really say okay, as an architect, I respect that you guys are building a system. This is the environment it needs to deploy. You know, here's kind of what how that environment works. So they get out of the way. So I got to get him to explain what an architect does every episode. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so and then we can, we should do a montage because I'm sure it's different every episode. But this this idea that there should be a, a foreman it, it is the most sexist post I've read in a very long time. I have to say, it's just like I'm not usually very sensitive, but it's just like the guy, the guy, the guy over and over again. But anyway, um, the the idea that there should be a foreman reminds me of what you were saying about learning from beginners. That there's there's not a linear scale where you have someone who's awesome and other people are like an eight or a six or a three everybody knows different things and if you right. put one person as the king who decides about the code quality you're you're not only screwing up the team and screwing up collaboration but you're missing out on a lot of stuff i do yeah, it yeah. as a coach but i certainly wouldn't put myself in that position with any of the teams that i coach I know that they know a whole lot more about what's going on in that code base than I do. I can help them get better. I can help them um, become better at TDD. I can help them organize their code better, think through problems better. But I sure would not come in and think about overriding their decisions. That's just well, horrifying. It, yeah, and, and like being part of that team, we all come with different life experiences. And this is why uh, yes. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to make some people mad here. I spent 13 <laughs> years in the National Guard. And... The National Guard, when we would go out and, and deploy to places where there was active duty, 
military, there were a lot of times when we could get the job done faster than they could and better. But that was because of, you know, we had some guys that came from backgrounds where they fabricated tools and we had guys that were computer programmers and guys that were electricians for their day job. And they come in with all these experiences and learning. And a lot of the active duty military people come with, well, I went to high school and then I've done this one thing. And, and so you bring all that background and everybody learns from each other and we get things done really well. Uh, and that's where that team mentality needs to come in. It's not, I'm in charge of all of you and I'm smarter than you, which is what I feel like this is espousing here. And what would you do if the foreman is gone for the day? No code check-ins, I guess. No committing, yep. <laughs> Ask for forgiveness instead of permission. Uh. <laughs> Mr. Foreman, don't take a vacation. We can't check any code in. I would have changed the name yeah. of this blog post to the the gatekeeper and the keymaster from Ghostbusters, but reminds me of <laughs> reminds me of a passage from the Mythical Man Month where there was a discussion. I think I think it was in that book. Maybe it was in People, where I don't recall now exactly uh, about the surgical team. This concept of a surgical team, and there's a surgeon, and only the surgeon gets to gets to commit code, if you will, and he's got a team of people that that like quality check it and and maybe uh, do some small improvement or research spike work and give it back to the surgeon and then the surgeon commits it all sort of a concept so so let me take this a different way uh, because you know and again I guess Angela called our bluff tonight since did any of us read this on Uncle Bob's blog no shame on shame on your this agile this agile life co-host <laughs> you but can't read everything. what he is doing in this that's good is he is calling attention for the need to be someone focused on writing quality code and, and really saying that, a, you know, and if, if you think about Bob Martin, that makes a lot of sense to say that somebody, and again, we can say that I, I agree with Angela that the, the language could have been written maybe in a more inclusive manner, but somebody needs to do that because we all know we've probably been on them uh, and been around them. There are teams that where simply people have apathy and they don't care. Well, so, I, I don't, yeah, I don't that's think that's like, one person's role. That's a change the team problem. Like you need to talk <laughs> to the team about about their pride and where they put their pride. And well, and, well so so what he's doing, and again, I'm a lean guy, you guys know. So I I like systems. So I would prefer and I would advocate for a team to have a system, to have a step of their workflow, have a queue on their Kanban board that ensures that they do this in a team approach. But I do give him credit and I give him some props for saying this is one of those little little dirty agile secrets, I call them, that you know teams kind of do and they say, hey, you got it, you got it. Who's looking at the quality of the code base? This is drawing a line in the sand and saying, hey, somebody needs to do this. Uh, and I think if teams yeah, took it needs that, to be the whole team. Yeah. Well, <laughs> whole team. But that backfires, Amos, and come on. How many teams have you been on where it's like you think you got it, John thinks he's got it, and guess what? No one's got it, and it just doesn't get done. I, I, so, I have to disagree. Go ahead, Angela. You've been trying to get well, in here. Yeah. I, just, I don't even know. I, like, as a coach, I talk to the whole team, and what I find out is they all care. So I go to them uh, once every sprint or whatever, and I say, you know, how are you feeling about your code? What's going on in there? How's your CI? Let's talk about this stuff. And they tell me what's bugging them and what they're worried about. And every one of them cares. People are not, you know, I don't, I don't know what folks imagine devs are like, but all they want is the freedom to care. All they want is the ability to have their caring matter. And as soon as they have that, 
they work together as a team, you can put in place rotating code reviews. You can, uh, different teams do different things. They gather everyone together and look at the code. They have lunch and learns. They have, you know, a person that they check with if they're confused or they have a conversation about the architecture and, and make decisions together. But this is stuff, my job as a coach is to get them talking to each other, to get them thinking about stuff, to give them some new ideas like TDD and stuff, but not to do their job for them and certainly not to babysit them. Yeah, I mean, nine out of 10 developers that I see on a team, they are out there to do a good job. It's the manager that I'm fighting over code quality. The guy who's like, I don't care, just jam the crap in there and tape it down. I don't, whatever well, works. If you want to do that, you put it on a story and I'll prioritize it. Hey, well, can, you, can you estimate all this stuff? Oh, yeah, and I need it by August. Can you <laughs> estimate with a 75% accuracy? What the hell does that mean? If I can estimate with 75%, I'll just give you 100 <laughs> well, let, let me okay, but let me um let me ask there because one thing because Angela hit on something that's really important, and again, this is something that because I think you described what I'm going to call the the awesome coaching scenario. You know, you've got that team, um, they're small, they're all in. If you, I mean, if you're a scaled agile fan, they're doing the bah thing. If you if you uh, know they teach that as part of scaled agile, if you've heard of that, um, but nonetheless, they're all motivated for that common goal. So if you're the coach and you're on that team that where maybe people don't have that passion, they don't have that drive to say, I care, what do you do? You change your system. If you've got people who aren't motivated, you can't fix it by appointing someone king. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree. But, you just but make more people angry. Not going to happen. You can't do it. It's unsustainable. It's completely ineffective. Just stop trying. That's not going to work. So, so create a funnel. Boom. And you have to get everything through that little hole. Well, so so maybe <laughs> so maybe the advice here for for the for the listening audience is to say that this is you know I, I think there's some again there's some interesting and I think there's value that comes out of some of the ideas in in the in the post. But the key thing is there is this need to look at at the team, do an assessment, and see this this is going to work more effectively on some teams and on other teams it's going to become a powder keg and just create conflict kill motivation and make people where they just really want to get out of there. Wait, 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 wait. I'm confused because five minutes ago you said that you hadn't read the post and now you're saying that he's saying some good things in the post. No, I, I've I don't read... know where, is that a blue TARDIS in the background that I see? Where, where are you getting this? No, I, I've since <laughs> read the post. I don't know what you're seeing in the background. Damn, but Tysa reads faster than I Your time machine he's referring to. Speed reader. Yeah, well, fair enough. I'll give you again, <laughs> I, I, you know, having working with with some folks who lately who have, are very concerned about writing quality software, and and they're they're a little they're a little they're a little concerned because they work with so many people that just have a high they they seem to have apathy. I get that in some environments where people are committed, they should value the feedback that this this foreman call it would provide. So but, how do you fix the apathy? Because you don't fix it by putting somebody in charge to to tell you that you suck. Well, but again, I think what what is it in the post? What is it in the post is at a detail level the exact tactics that that foreman would use. If that foreman is collaborative, they're they're inspirational, and they provide guidance <laughs> to help the team improve. Okay, that works out great. I think the fact that Bob Martin called it a foreman and he made it a reference back to the factory days. I think we all know what he was going for. Which is that tyrannical Amos? Call it the architect. Call it the governance board. Whatever that where people come in who are removed from the context and they say, "No, you did it wrong. 
redo it. And to me, that's just that that's that's waste. Just don't do that. Not to mention that it's demotivating and damaging to the morale of the team. I mean, who is who is to say that they are the foreman? How do you become the foreman? Who who promotes you to supreme being of foreman of? Well, maybe you're the, the planet Earth. Lead. So you I'll are tell you the. What, the the manager is going to go pick the guy who just throws whatever shit in and gets it done really fast because he looks at quality as how fast can you get it out the door, not how good is it and how sustainable is it over time because all he sees is the short term, and it's well, not. A, it's not necessarily I'm I'm not fighting the manager for that. He's got a lot of pressure coming around. But that's the person he's going to pick to be the foreman given the choice. Well, okay, so- any any no leadership comes from someone who's been given a title. It comes from someone who inspires the team and who encourages them. So this whole, you know, we need a foreman to stop people from committing bad code. That's bullshit. Oops. And that's, Sorry guys. And that's, that's okay. Sleep. I mean, bleep. It- I'm usually the explicit one. So <laughs> that, that's almost an yeah. exact statement from the Ten Commandments of Egoless Programming that that uh, you do not that you do that you don't get you don't get uh, respect on the team from a title. You get respect on the team from doing a good job and and demonstrating to others that you work well and play well with people. Well, and helping them do what they want to do, not shoving your own ideas down their throat, right? Exactly. Because I want to help a team have fewer bugs. Let me help them have fewer bugs. And then they go, oh, that was cool. Can we do that some more? Whereas <laughs> if I say, you're not committing that code, it's not good enough, that doesn't do anything to help even them understand. If you, even if you write four pages of why and how to make it better. Oh, especially if you write four pages of why. <laughs> That's oh. true. <laughs> let, me, let me ask a question. So actually, I want to ask a question of Lee so we can, we can put Lee on the spot here. Because I, I, I think the reason I drink. <laughs> well, <laughs> wonderful. But but so Lee, and I think more so compared to Angela and Amos and John, you know, you have a you have a current role on a team since I work with you where y- you, you know, you're in that tech lead position for the team, is that correct? Correct. Okay. Now, and since I happen to observe where you work every day, I would propose that, that you do an excellent job of not allowing yourself to fall victim to the foreman tendency that Bob Martin has described. Thank you. Objection, so, he's leading the witness. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but my question for you, Lee, then, is what is the simple advice that you would provide to other people like you who are, you know, because a, a lot of companies out there, including the one that Lee and I both work for, have a, have a, a system in place where they say there's like a, te- there's like a technical lead on a team. Um, lots of companies have that. Lots of organizations have embraced that idea. And I've seen a lot of times where that goes incredibly wrong and the technical lead becomes the foreman. So I Lee, was what- tech lead at that company. Your job as a tech lead should really be shit umbrella. Protect the rest of the team so that they can get their damn job done and you fight back. That's well, your job. But I don't see, okay, Amos, I, I remember when you worked with Lee and I, and I remember what that looked, and I remember what it sounded like, because the whole office knew what you were doing, okay? They, they all knew about that. Um, <laughs> Lee doesn't do that. So I'd like Lee to share a few things that he does, just some advice for the listeners out there to know what he does that allows him to be so successful in that role. Well, the, I would say that the, for me at least, every, every person that's in this position has kind of their own style and that works with their personality. And for me, that personality is play dumb uh, when necessary. Um, so, so on in day-to-day work, you know, you're in the code uh, almost as much as as the rest of the devs as a tech lead. 
and and so you have a good handle on on technically what's going on, and so the team will respect each other and respect you as as having uh, knowledge enough to to be able to give information, and for the for the most part, uh, I I just play dumb when I really want the team to interact, and uh, and the everybody other people will will rise to the occasion, but if you if you um, if you essentially provide an answer, whether it's right or wrong, because I honestly do think that, you know, at least 50% of the time, I'm probably wrong. But, you know, everybody's looking at you as the tech lead to give an answer. And, and sometimes tech leads, I think, have the, uh, the tendency to just give an answer because everybody expects that of them. And in my case, I just resist that urge and say, why are you looking at me? You know, I don't know. And then somebody will come up and suggest something, and then a discussion will occur, and I can sit back and, and watch good stuff happen. I think that's a, a key example of servant leadership because it's very easy to give an answer. It's hard to be quiet. It's hard to not assert yourself to the group. It's harder not to assert yourself to the group. And that's a very constructive thing to do because you're you're teaching the team how to survive without a single driving force in that team. You're enabling the whole team to contribute and to help make decisions and be empowered to make those decisions. I tell my team, if you're coming to ask me a question, I've done something wrong. Because you should be empowered to make the decision and I should have given you every bit of information that you could possibly need. If you're coming to me to say, how should I do this or anything else, I have done something wrong in my communication and I need to fix that. I, I think that's well spoken. I mean, it's the, um, it, it's the idea of saying that, you know, the, I know we're working on our t-shirt campaign still for the people work here shirts. And so John, no, no, gotta... it's gone. It's over. Oh my goodness. I'm completely out of the loop. Wow. We should do we, it again. We met our goal. Wow. <laughs> well, so the next T-shirt we can do, although it's related to this, although we can't do this because we will get sued, is um, it's from the, uh, the AMC movie theater, you know, the, um, the theater chain where their, their, their phrase is silence is golden. But as in this role, there is, and, and this even comes up in working with some teams on, or some facilitators on retrospectives lately, in a retrospective, as the facilitator, you do need to do something to simulate the conversation to kind of get rolling. But then you need to be silent and let the team talk and kind of hash it out. The same goes for if you're this leader of the team, that there is a, there is a huge value that comes for being silent and allowing people to figure it out and ensuring that you advocate for them and you support them. And if they make a mistake, you know, you, you embrace that as a learning opportunity and not as a failure. Your personal retrospective on This Agile Life. So, John, I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear the Bob programming story, just since you've 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 led with it so much. Uh, All right, uh, I'll, I'll give you the short version, and then we can talk a little bit about it. Maybe not so short, but I've been having some struggles <laughs> with a rather large team with a group of uh, of developers that are somewhat specialized and uh, have a lack of desire to become less specialized. <laughs> Uh, and to become more generalized, they like to kind of stay in their uh, in their pigeonholes, and it, it's 
it's taxed the team in a number of ways when dealing with features. And we're talking about a team of 40 full-time people that are broken up over three feature teams, uh, sorry, three, three total teams and splitting features across those teams. And one of the problems is, uh, is load balancing the work. I even hate to say load balancing. It makes me want to vomit in your Gantt chart. <laughs> but you know, there are, there are teams that have, more of this type of work than that type of work that they have to do in their particular features that they've taken on. And, and one way that I've, as we've talked about mob programming, Jason, saw that as an opportunity for throwing a group of developers into a room and saying, you guys all have this, these disparate skills, throwing you all together, here's one computer, now write, write the code for the feature and just go at it. And so I spent some time writing up a couple of short little uh, pages worth of bullet points saying this is what I propose we do, this is how I propose we do it, using some information from Woody Zuli, uh to as a guide and uh, presented that the other day to the, a, a few key people that I was going to have do this mob programming, and I changed the name of it. I'm sorry to say this, but I don't like mob programming. I think it sounds unruly and reckless, so I, I called it squad programming. So I kind of bastardized the name. But anyway, today was the first day of the experiment. And we started in the morning. And I told the team, I understand it's going to take you some amount of time, you four developers. Uh, it was three full-time developers and one guy that's more of a quality engineer slash developer. I said, I know it's going to take you guys some time to gel, understand what you're working on. And uh, I kind of gave them some free reign, and I said, here are, the, here are the rules that I want you to abide by because this is an experiment, so I need you to work within a certain set of boundaries. One of those, exper one of those rules was one computer, leave the rest of your computers at home. Well, <laughs> not at home, but at your desk. They all show up with all their computers. I'm like, guys, <laughs> this okay, is so yeah, that happens with retros, and you know it's going to be a good one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, but, John, you're a 60-minute retro, and you have 47 tweets. How did you participate? But, John, <laughs> you're, the, you're the facilitator of this. Why did you not call it and say, time out? I That's did. not what we agreed to. Shut it down. We're all going to use the conference computer here on the, with the projector and, you know, do it. I, I did. But I had clearly said that just the afternoon before. We're only using one computer, and then I get all of this pushback. I need so, to, John, yeah, can I can I give you some real serious, legit feedback here? Yes. As I heard you describe it, it sounded very much like it was your idea. Yes. And your plan. Yes. And I, I almost like I wasn't there. I don't know what the devs were saying, but I didn't have a feel for real buy-in. They they have no buy-in. John has this agenda, and we're going to show up and whatever, go through the motions. But uh, I, I really got the feeling that, that there's something about they're having some pain, and you have an idea about how to fix that pain. But if you can get them to see their own pain and what the possibilities are for fixing it, then maybe you get the sort of buy-in you're looking for? It, it's, it, they definitely... Do not. They, they didn't come to this on their own, which is what I would love for them to do. And I've spent a year coaching this team using servant leadership methods to try to get them to 
role overload to expand their skills and knowledge to pair a program to write more tests. Ouch. Well, I just, just uh, I could empathize with that, John. I had the same experience just last week. Um, we had a few people who were out spring break season. And so I was filling and doing retros for a couple teams. And, you know, as a games facilitator, uh, you know, I always, I always show up with a plan. Uh, and we try to do a few games. And but some groups are like, we're not doing a game in a retro. Forget that. Because, you know, they just kind of want to have a, you know, call it. They want to, you know, ha- have an organic agenda. They want to really focus on issues that are important to, like, two people on the team versus doing an activity that would allow the team to do more brainstorming and discovery and maybe get some issues out for people who don't always speak up when one person kind of says, hey, this is what we need to talk about. So, um, But it's tough because, you know, if you're the the facilitator, the coach in an environment like that, how hard are you going to push your ideas? And to what Angela said, if you push too hard, you can discredit yourself and lose trust and, and lose the ability to influence the group for better. And it's, it's tough. You can't win. Eventually, I mean, sometimes you win, sometimes you don't, right? Yeah. I, I mean, and that's it. It gets back to what, we, what I kind of brought up before. It's this idea of, you know, leading the horse to water, but you can't make a drink. So if people are, are so, I'll use the term, apathetic that they don't want to improve, they don't want to try something new, uh, I mean, you know, knowing Woody and the whole mob programming idea, I mean, it is a fun activity. And so it, it adds that fun factor. And I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'll share. I'm at a loss. It's like, hey, we're going to do an experiment. We're going to do this thing that we're all going to like, you know, have a, like a podcast to do our coding. Uh, it's fun, assuming you like to talk because it's very social. And I don't know why anyone out there would want to just give it a shot. But I think that's because we're five people doing a podcast to talk about Agile and there are many more people who are not spending their free time talking about stuff like this. And that, you know, that's the gap. Maybe we need to ask more questions. Hey, what do you guys think you can do to, to spread knowledge around the team? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, tell me about <clears throat> it. It's the, it's the question I've asked for a year. So let me, <laughs> yeah. let me just tell you my mob programming story, and then we can, we can lament my, the rest of my situation later. But I think the people are having fun. Uh, but it took them a while. It took them a while to kind of get into it. And like, you know, I said, it's going to be a little bit like getting, pushing a big boulder. You've, you're going to push for a while and nothing's really going to happen. And then after, a, after some of the pushing, it'll start to creep and move and kind of roll. And then eventually maybe you'll get the ball rolling. And I said, listen, guys, I have zero expectation of what's going to occur. If it, if this fails, it fails. If you guys don't write a line of code, that's, that's not a failure. If you, if you kill each other, it's not a failure. We've learned that this doesn't work well for us. This is all about being a learning opportunity. It's a chance to try something. And at the end of the original discussion where I introduced this idea to the small group of the people from the team, they seemed excited about the opportunity. So day one, like cool. I said, they show up with the laptops. They get everything set up. I tell them put the other laptops away they they start with the one laptop and uh they start they start trying to get into it bottom line end of the day i had come back a couple of times to check on them they're working real hard i'm sitting there kind of fly on the wall watching things that are going on they're bringing some people in and out to help uh, get them up to speed on various aspects of the project and the code and the feature and etc i cycle back in at the end of the day and one of the guys looks at me and says, 
we haven't written a line of code. And I just laughed. And I was like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's funny. Wait, that's fantastic, though. Like, that's okay. It's not a problem. What, I, what you should have said is, did you think about stuff? Did you learn anything? Because that's what you're after, right? And that's what I went to. So I thought okay. they were making a joke, and I was hoping a little bit. But then I went, <laughs> then I went back to the, hey, well, you guys learned a lot of stuff. And then they said, well, yeah, we could have learned this on our own. And, and I said, yeah, but maybe you, maybe you learned it faster, all being in here and discussing <laughs> things, because they learned a lot about parts of the system that they had no previous knowledge of. So to your point, Amos, I think it was very successful in terms of the learning that they experience. And I'm just concerned now at the end of day one that they come back tomorrow um, scared or demotivated or something else. Just, you know what you should do? Show up with a bunch of yoga balls of the right size and toss those in the room and take out all the chairs, but don't even tell them. So then when they walk in in the morning, it's different and it's fun. And then the next day, do something completely different. Just keep like changing things on them. You said you I think well. I think that would work really well personally, but force them to have fun. What do you think, Angela? <laughs> well, I have. I don't know um, what your retros are like, but it seems like this is a really juicy opportunity for a kick-ass retro. Absolutely. Our retros. Wow. I would. Ne- I would not categorize any of the recent retros as juicy. No, I, so there's this, the official truth is that a retro has to come out with takeaways and they got to be acted on. I'm actually not convinced that retros are only for some sort of concrete improvement. No. In my experience, retros are, are a way for a team to learn to communicate with each other. And so I, sometimes it's just gathering knowledge. Just I don't think you should come out of a retro until somebody cusses. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always cuss in the first 30 seconds. so we Boom, that's over with. We're done. I, I, we've talked a lot on the show before, Angela, about retros and the, that they don't need to be regularly. It doesn't have to occur as a regularly scheduled thing, right? They can just be, I hate your guts right now, and I need to talk to you about it. <laughs> You're really <laughs> aggravating me. If you can get that happening on your team, you have won. That's called a frequently occurring event if you're on a team with Amos. Yes, it is. And a few other key people. After a short so, period of time... Of working with the same people, I'm so loud and obnoxious that everybody else starts to be that way too. And they just, they stop caring about, like, they start caring more about the team than they do about each individual's feelings. And they're like, look, their feelings, and we got to get them out, and it's going to piss some people off, but tomorrow we're going to come back and we're all going to be cool about it. I think that's because they have a common enemy, Amos. (laughs) Possibly. In all seriousness, don't you think that learning that feelings are just things that happen and they go away is like a pretty useful interpersonal skill for a team member to have? I, I get a quote a lot from an old coworker who always says, uh, for some of these guys know him, his name's Nick Benpassis, and he always, uh, I quoted him one time, I said, they're just feelings, they go away. <laughs> You'll get over it. But I also have this thing about feelings being really important, but I think they're really important in the moment. And you need to to realize that it's just a moment and we've got to get over it and move on. But there's saying that and there's hearing that and then there's internalizing that because there are many people that will say that but will not internalize it and will hold immense grudges over silly things like you moved my curly brace, right? (laughs) 
Well, that's why that's why I think retros are important for for learning, you know, emotional maturity, for learning to talk to each other and to listen, like all of that stuff. It, as you know, as a coach doing regular retros, there's a that's sort of a curriculum, you know, that we over months develop abilities that we didn't have before. I had a retro about chairs and where people could sit. <laughs> And it's, it was like infamous at the company because people were screaming at each other. It was like an hour and a half about chairs. Like we had gotten to the point where that was the biggest problem among the team. And that <laughs> is fantastic. Like, yeah. I felt amazing coming out of that retro, although I was really pissed off about the chairs. <laughs> Dude, chairs are important when all you do is sit all day. Oh, so- man. Well, I didn't care what chair. And that was the, really the problem is that there were some people who didn't care and some people who had like adjusted all the adjustments on the chair. And so they would come in and be like, you're sitting in my chair while I'm in the middle of working. And it just got frustrating. And so I said, nobody's chairs. And then we ended up, everybody put a name on the back of a chair and we knew whose chair was what. But that was, that was the, like the important topic. And I think that's, that's fine. I think that's, that's a fantastic question. story. <laughs> So, so while we've evolved from mob programming to retros to chairs, um, <laughs> a- Angela had mentioned she had a, a happy mob programming story, which I was wondering if she could, to kind of close out the mob programming discussion, if she could share. Well, it was happy for me, at least. <laughs> well, so John, we John's, we I think, have... is still a work in progress, so I guess you, you could share yours uh, to well, hear a, a different outcome. Coach me, Angela. Hey, this is going to have a happy outcome, too. We just haven't seen that happen yet. Um, So I was working on a mobile team, and everybody was doing Android. And over the past, uh, over the recent weeks, we had lost one of our two iOS guys. And um, it came time to work on iOS. And um, we're like, well, shit. So um, the team got together with some funny looks for management, I think, and did some mob programming. And it, it was really, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Objective-C. It is a <laughs> yes. terrifying experience. <laughs> Seriously, like, you look at a wall of code and you think, okay, there's a method, there's a variable, right? There's a name. I understand these things. For me, the first time I looked at Objective-C, I was just like, I can't even... Find what you're talking about right now. There's so, a variable, um, and what the hell is that? <laughs> well, but it was really cool because uh, all of us were able to deal with Objective C in a really short time, a, a week or two. It was, you know, we were competent to pair, maybe three weeks. <laughs> but um, it was a really cool learning experience, and and when we relaxed into it, we had a good time. But, and you know, the first day is hard. Maybe maybe they're going to relax into it, and it's going to become a lot easier. I th- remember I the so. first time you paired, John. Oh yeah, for eight hours straight. The first time you paired all day. Eight hours. I oh, was, I was petrified. I think uh, most of us on here probably have worked at a job where we've paired uh, nearly a hundred percent of the time. You didn't pair if you were in a meeting or someone was sick. Well, right, but like six hours, maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, or or you were an architect. <laughs> it's probably right? more like six hours by the time you end up like talking to everybody and having stand up and taking a walk so you don't punch the person in the face. <laughs> That's only when you're working with Tice. <laughs> really? 
Well, you know, it's funny. I'll tell. I've been talking to Woody lately. I'll mention why in a bit. But the um, about mob programming and the story I told him, and he, he got a kick out of it, was my first mob programming experience was back in like, uh, was right around, it was around 2000 or 01. I worked for a financial services company, and we had a cat one bug. And leadership's response was to lock the dev team in a conference room and make us code on the big screen until the bug was fixed because we were losing uh, several hundred thousand dollars every minute that the bug was not fixed in production. And uh, the executives uh, chose to sit in the back of the room and watch us attempt to figure out the problem and asked us every minute if we had fixed it yet. So... (laughs) That was mob programming because it was all hands on deck and it was, you know, attempting to use the crappy um, conference room computer, which we had to open up a remote desktop session back to a dev workstation. But oh, it, oh, no. Oh, yeah, it was horrible. That, that and, really and, sped up the fixing was, of the bug. It was yeah. the ultimate, you know, carrot and stick executive back there cracking the whip saying, get it done. And well. and that's not what mob programming is. So we had the mob part going on. We had all of the wrong motivating factors. <laughs> Um, they take you by the ear and march you into the room and sit you down? Yeah, and, and it was told that it was like, no one can leave the room or go home or do anything regardless of what you have going on until the problem is fixed. Uh, it was that is so horrifying. I know. It was like, if you leave, you're fired. I mean, it was literally that. And uh, it's, it's an interesting <sighs> thing to reflect upon, especially if you're in elites, if you, if you do ops or you're in a leadership position, because that... Number one, that is completely preventable by other technical practices that I think this was back in 2001 have matured since then. So number one, you should never have to do that again. But number two, if you do find yourself in that position, realize that as a leader, if you think that corralling the developers into the conference room and sitting in the back of the room, cracking the whip, I mean, if anything, you should go buy pizza and beer and they'll probably actually solve the problem faster than if you sit there and create this high pressure environment. You need well, to come in think? with the attitude of niceness. And yeah, you, totally. And you, you get a lot more. What do they think makes creativity work? I don't know. Um, and at the time, I was uh, that was when I was kind of just getting started as a developer. Uh, we weren't we weren't in an agile shop. This was actually a Fortune 500 company. And uh, you know, I don't I don't get what happened. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things that it was neat to experience it early on, and it impacted me. And, and oh. as I've learned and coached coached and actually led groups going forward i've said that that is something that is a great thing to reflect upon because you know through pair programming test driven development uh having clean code doing continuous integration uh you know having a test pyramid where you test at the unit integration and, and really at the functional level you will hopefully never find yourself in that cat one scenario again I, and i am so glad that you said early on in your career because all i can think is like maybe the first year of my career i would have dealt with somebody telling me you're going to go in this room and not leave or you're fired. And after my first year, it would have probably been like, <laughs> well, then I'm fired. I'll see you. <laughs> like, yeah. I just walked out. Well, and I, I cared. I mean, but the funniest thing is, so again, the funny, I mean, the funniest thing that actually I did talk, I have, I have recently talked to the guys who I worked with, uh, the guy who's my, I guess the, our, our, our divisional, he was the divisional vice president. He's still around the St. Louis area. And, um, the, uh, the story is because we, we tried to figure out how long we had the problem and how much money we lost because it was it was a couple it was about a hundred thousand dollars a minute because it was a rounding error and how we did transactions and if you think about you know a lot of times you say you want to do test driven development you want some time to pay down your technical debt you want to set up a continuation <laughs> I mean that one bug 
I mean, we probably had a we probably had a couple hundred thousand dollars of investment that we could have invested right there. And if we had invested that up front, we would have never had that loss in the first place. So hindsight, um, yeah. And that investment would have been much less than what that bug cost us when it made it out to production. So, uh, so that's a story everyone can relate to because if you're a developer, it demonstrates why you should be writing tests, why you should have continuous integration, and really, if you're if you're at the executive level and you get these requests from your IT managers and development teams that, hey, we need to do some investment. This is the story as to why you need to do that because it will come back to bite you. And when it comes back to bite you, it will cost significantly more to recover than if you invested proactively in the first place. And if you're a dev, you need to do TDD so management won't march you into a room and make you work on a horrible VPN. Yes, right. yes. Until you a, can. Oh, God, I think, our comp, I think our resolution was like 640 by 480 on this archaic presentation system. <laughs> and, they and they have no idea what that cost them. Yeah. No idea how much yeah. faster it would have been if you'd had pizza and beer and been left alone. Yeah, pretty much. Well, guys, that's just about. we're just about out of time. Thank you for the coaching on uh, mob programming. I certainly appreciate it. Uh, before we do our picks, does anybody have any last words on, on any of that? I just want Angela to come back. This has been great, and I would love to hear about unschooling sometime and, and your, your children um, and how they learn because I think that that is also applicable to, to developers and adults growing and learning. This week's hottest picks. All right, let's do our picks, and Angela will give you the honors tonight. Okay, um, my first pick is a post by, I'm, I'm going to get it wrong, Dave Thomas? Yes. I think? Okay, good. <laughs> Time to kill Agile. He proposes that we get rid of the word Agile and just stick with agility uh, and gives lots of reasons for that. The thing, I like even better Joe Rainsberger's response to that. At least I'm assuming it's a response. He doesn't quote it. Uh, reports of Agile's death, yada, yada. <laughs> I imagine he's, reporting, he's responding to that and a bunch of other stuff. There's been lots of conversations about whether we should or shouldn't use the word and about uh, tools that are taking over um, what should be about people and all that stuff. So his post, I really enjoyed a lot, and, and it came out this week, so I thought I would share it. Uh, and my last pick is completely irrelevant, but it's what I'm really excited about right now. I am working with uh, Jason Felice, who's a racer head on Twitter, on a new Vim. Uh, Vim is an editor, for those of you who are not nerds um or not ruby nerds or vim nerds anyway uh avi is a beautiful version of vim written in closure and you should take a look at it because it is sweet and delicious so that's my my last pick is github.com slash mytria slash avi very cool angela is it something that's uh in a beta alpha oh state? uh I guess it is technically alpha. Yeah. It's not ready for prime time. It is ready for pull requests and issues. So everybody should come and contribute because that would be really cool. Complain. Tell us what's wrong with it. Sweet. So it doesn't use Vimal? What's Vimal? Uh, the, the Vim language that you use oh, to configure Vim. No. Oh, thank closure. God. Closure. Closure. <laughs> it's, that's the whole point, right? <laughs> Uh, and it's also newbie friendly. All right. I myself am new to Closure, uh, so 
luckily Jason's an expert, so we're working together on it. It's very cool. Thank you. And I'm very excited about it. Thanks for your picks, Angela. Lee, what do you have tonight? Well, um, let me pull it up here. Um, what I had is uh, I've been hounded about providing, finding that joke that uh, I mentioned in several episodes ago and was totally un, incapable of, uh, uh, of finding that joke again. But I found some other really cool stuff along the way. So uh, one site in particular that uh, Kathy Carlton lists out a bunch of tweets that, uh, that she's made that are all agile jokes. And so if you go to uh, www.kathycarlton.com slash tag slash agile jokes, there's a bunch of her tweets that, uh, uh, that I thought were really very, very cool. Lots of cool jokes. Finally, finally we get the joke. Well, you get somebody else's joke. A bunch of You know, jokes. Lee, if you did a little more planning for what you were going to talk about <laughs> in the podcast and wrote some talking points, you wouldn't have that problem. Yeah, but I'm, <laughs> I'm just not as smart as you, Jason. Oh, I, I can't plan six months in advance. Says the only person, unless Angela can one-up us, that has a PhD on the podcast this evening. He doesn't like that. Dad, don't tell people that. He doesn't like Wait, that people who, know who that. Who has a PhD? Dr. Nobody. Lee McCauley. Oh. Mom. But it's fun because okay, he loves, about he loves artificial <laughs> intelligence, and it's awesome when you talk to him about it. Oh, I have a kid who's into that. Researching. Thank you, just plain old Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. Miss, yeah. Mr. Lee McCauley, Esquire. <laughs> that makes it all better. <laughs> I, it sounded like the Agile Factor was, was being channeled there for a second, so I think we should let Jason do his picks. I'll have two. I'll go real fast so we can wrap this up. Um, the, uh, uh, I know in the past, Amos talked about standing, so uh, at the company I worked, this thing showed up, and I said, what the heck is it? And it's a product by a company called Steelcase. They make uh, all office furniture. It's called a buoy. It's, it, since we started talking about yoga, if you sit on it, it keeps moving back and forth. It, 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 it will activate your core and actually give you a great workout as you sit. It's good for fitness. And it's actually better because it keeps moving than sitting on a ball if you really want to ha have that active stabilization. You can buy one on Amazon for about $165. It's a neat thing to look at. We'll put a link on the show notes. Um, and since we did talk about Mobperib tonight, my second pick, uh, something that I've become involved with is I'm helping to plan this year's Agile Games Conference held June 2nd through the 4th in Boston, um, basically on the campus of MIT. It's organized by Agile New England. On our program, we actually have Woody Zool, the, uh, the founder of the Mob Programming Movement. So if you want to come and experience Mob Programming, we'll have a workshop about it. Uh, uh, Woody's going to talk about what he's learned about it, how to facilitate it, how to roll it out, and actually then have a workshop where he's going to do a mob programming session, I believe, um, for those like John who are interested in learning more about it. So check us out, www.agilegames2014.com. You can register online, and um, if you don't know how conferences work, the sooner you register, the more financially advantageous it is for you to do so. So hopefully we'll see you in Boston in June. Thank you, Jason, the Agile Factor. Amos, as you're taking a swig of your beer, what are uh, your Maybe picks I should tonight? pick Mother's Brewery, which is a fantastic brewery in Springfield, Missouri. Um, but that's not my pick. Uh, uh, so 
I have like four picks that I've written throughout the show, and I think I'm going to cut it back to two. Is, um, there's a yak shaving t-shirt that is absolutely hey. fantastic, and you should go buy it. Um, and it's one of Angela's old co-workers, right? Yep. Uh, created this t-shirt. All profits from the t-shirt are going to a dev boot camp to teach people programming. So I think it's fantastic, and it's a, a really well-done design. It's a beautiful shirt. Uh, beautiful. I think you should go buy it. And then um, maybe a little shameless self-promotion, but once you read my English in it, it won't be shameless self-promotion. There's a, a gist uh, that I wrote about um, one-hour pair switching and kind of why I go about it. It's just rambling. Maybe one day I'll actually turn it into a blog post, but right now it's just a bunch of run-on sentences. Awesome. Cool, Amos. All right, and I get the final word on the picks. Um, this is kind of, I'm kind of laming out. I don't have anything really agile to pick, but I've um, been thinking about recording or offering some screencasts on the last episode of This Agile Life when I was all by myself. I pimped out my personal agile consulting service, and uh, this time I'm looking into doing some sort of online training. And so I've been looking around for some different alternatives for doing online meetings and online meeting services. And I came up with a really, really pretty cool one. It's called uh, Fusebox. Fusebox.com. So check that out. That's my pick tonight. Okay, that's all the picks. Special thanks to Angela Harms for joining us tonight. Guys. Tice, clap. I know you're an evil architect, but you can still clap. There you go. <laughs> Clapping doesn't work on Skype if you test it because it does all the cancellation. So the way oh, it works yeah, is sure. it, only the person who claps the loudest works. Well, Angela, it has been a real pr pleasure having you on the show with us and putting up with all our silly tomfoolery <laughs> and participating in our silly tomfoolery. We sh certainly appreciate having you on. Thanks a lot. It was fun. Okay, that's all we have time for. Check out thisagilelife.com for these show notes and all of our past episodes. Thanks for listening and keep living This Agile Life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.